What kind of music you like? Stop, I'm sick of your bullshit. Get your facts straight. Who wants to get funky tonight? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Silver Emotion Podcast. everybody welcome to another episode of the silver emotion podcast my name is will kauf and i am your host and uh today this is uh what is this episode 29 uh of <laughs> a big energy <laughs> coming into this show um i'm really not feeling the podcast uh this week but uh i have i actually watch more movies than i normally would because I fucked up last week, which made me fuck up this week, and then whatever. Ask me if I give a shit. <laughs> I didn't really pick anything to uh, feature, but I did watch two movies from Ernst Lubitsch, so maybe I'll feature those. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's just start it off. I want to say last year, but honestly, it could have been the end of 2015 because, I don't know, time gets away from me. There was a bunch of Ernst Lubitsch movies on Netflix at one point in time. Ernst Lubitsch is a wonderful uh, classic era filmmaker. And if you don't know, um, he's fucking dope. And anyway, (laughs) so... They had a bunch of movies. They were expiring on Netflix. And so I watched, I don't want, I, maybe I watched a few, but I definitely remember, the only one that I really remember watching is a movie called The Doll. And let me, I want to say that The Doll was 1919. But I'm not sure. Yes. The Doll was 1919. It was a German film um, before Ernst Lubitsch came to Hollywood. And it is a sort of romantic comedy about um, about a doll that comes to life. And it is charming as fuck. And it blew me away. And I was just like, God damn, fucking Lubitsch at 1919 was making like this level of dope sophisticated um movie it was just blew me away and so then i as i often will when i get super excited and passionate about something i will then immediately want to just fucking watch a bunch of shit related to it and so i started uh, collecting a bunch of ernst lubitsch movies because um when i was first introduced to ernst Lubitsch. It was probably, I want to say it was like 2000, 2001, something like that. Um, Because I remember I took my first 
film class uh, in 2001, and I already knew about Ernst Lubitsch then because during that class, I remember going with Uncle Jasper to see the, uh, at the time, very obscure Ernst Lubitsch movie, um, Trouble in Paradise. It has since been released uh, by Criterion. It's a fucking great movie. If you've never seen it, even if you don't like 30s movies, it's a fucking great movie. And I think it's the kind of movie that like transcends um, however old it is. It's really witty and sharp and really clever. And so a lot of that I saw in The Doll. Uh, but anyway, back back then, in 2000, 2001, like the majority of Ernst Lubitsch movies were just not on home video. He wasn't really well known um, in outside of like uh, super film nerd circles or whatever. Um, I don't know how... I know how I heard of him because Uncle Jasper was like, oh, have you heard of this guy, Ernst Lubitsch? And so he fucking educated me on that, um, as he did with many things. And so, <laughs> like, Lubitsch movies were like this fucking holy grail where we could get some, but others were just completely fucking unattainable. And so then I watched some here and there in the intervening years, but until I saw The Doll relatively recently within the last year or two um i hadn't really thought much about lubitsch so when i watched this one and i was super excited i i i looked i said oh i wonder wonder what i can uh watch lubitsch wise these days and it turns out <laughs> that a, a fucking like a lot of his movies are available now so i started collecting them um like you know, via Netflix or whatever, and um, just getting a bunch of them, and then eventually I would watch them, because it's kind of the way I am, I just, like, hoard shit, (laughs) and then slowly watch it at my discretion, and uh, anyway, long story long, I I, uh, (laughs) finally watched a couple of them, so the first one that I watched, and this is a good, good move on my part, um, unbeknownst to me, um, the first one that I watched is called Carmen, and uh, it was released in the U.S. as Gypsy Blood. So the the copy that that I had was called Gypsy Blood, but they are essentially the same movie, just with different intertitles. Um, but uh, Carmen or Gypsy Blood is uh, based on the the novel or novella or whatever of um, the story Carmen, which then the opera was based on. And then in turn, the spaghetti Western Man Pride and Vengeance uh, that I talked about relatively recently in the last couple of episodes, probably um, starring Franco Nero, that that movie was also based on Carmen. So going into Lubitsch's Carmen, I had a pretty fresh understanding of the story and the characters and how uh, they interacted and interplayed and stuff. So when I was watching Lubitsch's Carmen, 
this helped greatly <laughs> because um, I hate to say it, but fucking Lubitsch's Carmen was hard as fuck to watch. It was hard to get through. I. It's not a bad movie. It's not even a bad. It's not poorly made or anything. I mean, the the real disappointing part about it is that it really doesn't show any, like, f- like fucking one percent of Lubitsch's charm and style as a filmmaker. It's just so, so cold. Um, and it's a story with without really any comedy. And Lubitsch is such, like, a fucking effervescent, like, fun filmmaker. So it's kind of hard to, to watch a movie that just doesn't have that that tone and style to it from him. Um, But, like, he just didn't even, like, shoot it with any kind of flair. Like, almost the whole movie is shot, like, in in medium shots where it's just like a couple of people talking and you know interacting and like that's it it's like almost like watching a play and and so anyway um because it was boring if i didn't just watch another adaptation of carmen i would guarantee that there's no way i could have followed this movie um in comparison to Man, Pride, and Vengeance, what I found interesting was that in Carmen, um, I don't know the the soldier guy's name, but but Carmen basically fucks over this soldier guy multiple times and like gets him to do shit for her, and then um, in the Lubitsch movie and probably the 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 other you know, the the original story and the opera and all that, the traditional tellings of the story. Um, she gets him to do all this stuff, and then she leaves him for another guy. But in the, the Spaghetti Western, and I really like the Spaghetti Western version because <laughs> it makes me like that movie more, and I don't need to see it ever again, but but it does make me appreciate it a lot more knowing how they changed it because in that one, she gets him to do like all this fucking crazy shit for her, get her out of jail and kill people and fucking just (laughs) all this shit. And he just keeps going for it because he's like, he's in love with her. And then when they get out, like they, they're both fugitives and they get out of the city and they start smuggling stuff, like when they hook up with the smugglers, um, Klaus Kinski is there, and like he's married to the to fucking Carmen. <laughs> so the whole time, Carmen's just like willfully been using the soldier guy <laughs> to like get this shit from him, like with no intention of of fucking anything. <laughs> just a cold-blooded shit and then in the in the the Lubitsch one and presumably the the original story um it's a lot more kind-hearted like because you feel like she gets him to do all this stuff because she's manipulating him and she does want to get like 
get out of jail and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, uh, you, I didn't get the sense that <laughs> she was doing it on purpose <laughs> and then knew she was going to leave him afterwards. <laughs> I don't know. I just really like the cold blooded element <laughs> of the spaghetti Western. Uh, but anyway, um, it, <laughs> I would say even, even Lubitsch fans, uh, could definitely skip Carmen. Um, I, I mean, if you're into the story, maybe, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's worth it. It's only like an hour, so if you if you do watch it, it's not that big of a deal. But I don't know. I wouldn't bother if I were you. Uh, and then the next movie that I watched was also a silent film from Lubitsch, but this one is from 1929. Oh, I didn't say Carmen was from 1918, so he made the doll just a year later, and all of his wit and everything was in evidence. So I want to say that if I watch a comedy from 1918, he probably still has his t- the Lubitsch touch, as they say. But um, it just was like nowhere to be found in Carmen. Uh, so then the next movie that I watched was 1929's Eternal Love. And Eternal Love was Lubitsch's final silent movie. He made it... Um, he made two movies in 1929. One was Eternal Love. And one was The Love Parade. Um, the Love Parade is a sound movie. And I don't know if it's his first sound movie. I don't know. Because... The other one is this last silent movie, but I don't know. The, he might have made another sound movie before it. Let me see. No, it is the first talkie made by Ernst Lubitsch. Okay. And I got to say, I saw this movie uh, with Uncle Jasper um, at the Academy of Motion. Motion what the fuck is the Academy called? motion picture arts and sciences or whatever they have a screening room down in la and um they were hosting some event for uh the restoration or whatever of the love parade and somehow we got in (laughs) it was open to the public but i mean i i don't know anyway um we got in and they gave us this fucking like eight by ten like lobby card of of the movie and so, and I haven't seen it since, and that was a good, I don't know, 10 years ago, at least. Anyway, so Eternal Love, last silent movie, Love Parade, first talkie, and for a first talkie, the Love Parade is fucking good, like really fucking good. Super, super, super funny, really well made, Lubitsch touch, there in spades, it's fucking great. But I'm not talking about that movie, I'm talking about eternal love and in eternal love i was very very happy to find that the lubitsch touch is uh very evident in this movie uh and it's it's a quite a good movie not a great silent movie um i i would say that it's a good one for sure but um not not i i don't know i wouldn't call it great but there's there's a lot of um really nice cinematography in it with uh apparently they shot it on uh, according to wikipedia and i didn't fact check it so i don't know but uh 
apparently they shot it in Canada and there's tons of really great, beautiful fucking um, photography of actual mountain ranges and shit. And because the, the main character um, is like a, I don't want to say a mountain man, but <laughs> he's kind of a mountain man, this fucking uh, hunter dude who uh when the movie starts the it's set in Switzerland and Switzerland and France are in a war and the French have occupied this small town in Switzerland and they have required everybody in the town to turn in their guns so everybody turns in their gun except for the fucking mountain man dude and this guy is just like, fuck it, man. This is my livelihood. Um, you know, he kills a fucking deer right at the beginning when you first see him. And uh, he refuses to turn his gun in. And so, uh, anyway, I forgot where I was going with that. But, but he's walking around in the mountains a lot and, like, uh, just fucking doing all this shit and and most of that is is actual photography of him walking around in the mountains and it looks just fucking brilliant um there's also a lot of really sophisticated camera work in this um like sophisticated in the sense that it's the silent era but there's moving camera usually you don't see a I mean, you see moving camera in, in silent movies, but especially towards the end of the silent era like this movie. But it's not just a moving camera. It's a camera that, as it's moving, is continuing to tell the story. Um, like, for instance, there's a scene where this woman says something and then walks out the door. And then as, after she walks through the door, the camera starts to push in on the door and you get this sense of like the woman is thinking about something and as she like went through the door and then right when it gets up to the door, the door opens and the woman pokes her head back in and it's just like a perfect little like, ah, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. It's really well done. Um, And there's a lot of shit like that in eternal love so i would say uh lubich fans uh look out for eternal love it's a good one um it's not great i mean i said that already but it's not great it didn't blow my socks off (laughs) but uh it's a good one next what do we got uh sundays lately i've been dedicating to hong kong movies Sundays and Mondays, basically. Um, but where I, I do the Monday, I do the um, Sam Hung or a Wong Kar Wai movie. I've been just kind of doing whatever the fuck I want on the Sundays. So this last Sunday, I watched In the Line of Duty 4, which is a movie directed by Yoon Woo Ping and starring Cynthia Khan and Donnie Yen. And this, in the line of duty four, is relatively early in Donnie Yen's career. It's not uh, anything close to his first movie. This is, what is this, 1989, it looks like. 
And if you remember, I was talking about in the Line of Duty 3, a couple of episodes back, or a few episodes back, whenever. And um, that one was directed by Brandy, Yoon, and I think another Yoon brother. Let me look. Ar- oh, Brandy Yoon and Arthur Wong. All right, well, anyway, Brandy Yoon did, 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 co-directed it, and then there was uh, a few Yoon brothers working on the action uh, on on number three. But on this movie, number four, uh, it's directed by Yoon Woo Ping, who is, th- you know, the, the big Yoon brother that everybody knows about. And then the action is directed also by Yoon Woo Ping, and uh, a couple more fellas. And so Cynthia Khan and Donnie Yen, just simply put, in the line of duty three, was um, essentially a Yoon clan movie. And Yoon clan movies are usually very good. And that one was a little disappointing. Not only because it was a Yoon clan movie, but just it wasn't a great movie overall. It's fun and, you know, I can dig it, but um, just wasn't at the level that I would like uh, Hong Kong action from the 80s to be. This movie, on the other hand, puts the director, um, the reins of director, (laughs) what the fuck, I can't, I can't talk, um, he puts that in the hands of Yoon Woo Ping, and who is very capable as a director, and he fucking knocks it out of the park. This movie, no shit, is just fucking dope, relentless fucking action. It's like a nonstop fucking Hong Kong extravaganza. It's so fun. It's so fucking, like, just dope. Just dope-ass Hong Kong shit. Like, I only took a few notes. (laughs) And I used the word dope three times. Like, uh, the notes just say, Donnie, dope. Cynthia, dope. And then the next note says, Just a dope, relentless action movie. Super fun. (laughs) And, like, honestly... I don't have much else to say. Like some of some of the story bits, like uh maybe a little bit um uh hard to follow or whatever, but it doesn't really matter because for every bit that's maybe a little bit too convoluted or whatever, um there's like a dope fucking action scene. <laughs> so and this movie is like nonstop action almost, so it's uh it's everything you could want really out of a Hong Kong movie. I I wouldn't I don't think I would call it like a top of the line Hong Kong movie um that's like like if I was recommending a person to watch their first Hong Kong movie, I wouldn't recommend this movie because I think like a Jackie Chan or a Jet Li or like a John Woo movie or something like that would be more um, more better. <laughs> uh, but this movie is definitely within the um, the grouping that I think would excite people 
who've never seen Hong Kong movies about seeing more Hong Kong movies. Um, it's really cool. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And and also, um, one of Yoon Wu Ping's brothers is in the movie. Um, is a pretty um, pretty large supporting role. His name is uh, Yoon Yat Cho, and he's fucking dope. <laughs> but but what I really wanted to say is that uh, part of the the story is that he's trying to get back to his mother. And his mother is played by the Shaw Brothers actress, Lisa Chow Chow, who was in, um, she was like the love interest in One-Armed Swordsman and The Assassin, the the other Cheng Che, Jimmy Wang Yu movie from, from 67. And she's just in a whole string of dope fucking late 60s, 70s Shaw Brothers movies um it's just and it was it was cool to see her and she was older (laughs) I don't have anything else to say about that but I just thought it was cool one of the things that I love about watching all the Shaw Brothers movies and then seeing 80s movies is that a lot of those people show up um uh, in these movies, they're just older. Like Ku Fang shows up in a few, and it's it's just weird to see him, and he's old because I'm just so used to how he looks in the the seventies uh, Shaw Brothers movies. Anyway, if you like Hong Kong movies, I would definitely recommend In the Line of Duty Four. Next, what do we got? I have. What did I watch next? I watched a Sammo Hung movie, uh, star, uh, <laughs> starring Sammo Hung movie called Slickers vs. Killers. I'm not quite sure why it's called Slickers vs. Killers. I tried, I tried to translate the Chinese title, and it didn't give me any sort of idea um, about what what the slickers is supposed to mean. I mean, to uh, to a, an American, uh, a slicker is some sort of rain jacket, as, as far as I know. I don't know any other use for slicker. But um, my assumption is that it's supposed to mean something like a yuppie. <laughs> Because Sammo Hung plays this, like, yuppie kind of guy. Um, he's a, a fucking mobile phone salesman. This movie was directed in 91, so that the mobile phones are uh, big, giant, like those big box phones. And he's basically trying to convince businessmen that um, their employees or they need to have a mobile phone and uh, it's like kind of a big deal to, to convince them because they're all just like, oh, the fuck needs this? And so it's funny uh, to see it now, like what almost, what's 91 to now, like 25 years, something like that, 26. It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny now because like every, like fucking children have <laughs> fucking phones. I went to my nephew's fucking birthday party today 
and he turned 11 and like a bunch of his fucking classmates <laughs> were at the place uh, at the party and like they all had fucking cell phones and it was so <laughs> it was so like sad to me <laughs> that all these kids just uh, were I don't know in fucking phone land I mean, th they weren't really uh, using the phone so much in, when I was uh, watching them, but uh, they were talking about, like, <laughs> oh, I fucking got this barbarian dude to <laughs> fucking level three, and, and, you know, and it was like the whole talk was all about their fucking little dudes. I mean, I guess back in the day when I was 11, the fuck was I talking about? I was probably talking about TNC surf designs and some... <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh <laughs> kung fu or some shit uh, the the nes game i don't know what was i talking about uh <laughs> russian attack <laughs> uh fucking double dragon anyway so samo hung plays a cell phone salesman mobile phone salesman not really a cell phone at this point and they the the company hires a woman to um basically like be his competition to kind of get both of them um selling more because they're competing against each other um and in the middle of that uh Samo Hung like witnesses a fucking triad uh assassination and so then Samo is is like running from these assassins and then at the same time there's like this weird sort of threes company misunderstanding between him the woman that they hired <laughs> to be his competition his um psych psychiatrist or psychologist um who is played by his real life wife Joyce Gadenzi and um his his wife in the movie so <laughs> there's like this big fucking weird misunderstanding thing where where this lady thinks he's fucking like uh sexually assaulting her and the other lady thinks that oh she's fucking going he's going for her and all that i don't know whatever it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> but anyway uh it's an okay movie it's not great i would say i said before that spooky spooky was my least favorite sam hung so far and i would say that this um is above spooky spooky but not above uh anything else so it's down there um, but I, I still enjoyed it, but uh, definitely a lower tier uh, Sammo Hung movie. It has some fights, and the fights are good, but they're nothing that's super memorable or anything really unique. It's kind of hard to believe that, I mean, I guess with 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 these movies, he wasn't really... Let me see. Like, so he made this movie after Pantyhose Hero, the one I talked about last week. 
but then I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's clearly like he doesn't. It's not trying to be like a big fight movie. It's more trying to be a comedy with fights, and for that, it it succeeds. But um, I don't know. It's not super funny, but at the same time, it's fucking like it feels like there's so much lost in the translation, like so much humor. There's just a lot of shit that seems like it should be funny, but it's not because I don't get it. And, uh, so I think that there's some of that going on. Um, I saw somebody mention that this movie, uh, could be considered the, uh, Cantonese nonsense comedy like uh, Stephen Chow does. I still forget the fucking, like, what they call that. The fucking mole tau or something. I should look it up and then I'll remember, maybe. I doubt it. Let's see if I just type Steven in what happens. Okay, there he is. Let's see. Uh, Which movie would they call? Uh, I don't know. This one's probably it. Yeah, Mo Lai Tao. Mo Lai Tao, nonsense comedy. Okay, whatever. So anyway, <laughs> I've seen Slickers versus Killers referenced as that, and I would say that it, it probably fits in pretty well because there's a lot of weird shit. And and to be honest, like the weird shit I found funny, but just the, the dialogue comedy, um, not always so much. Uh, but that's okay. You know, hey, it's not for me. Um, so that's that. I, I would say if you're super into Samohung, uh, watch it because it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's weird seeing Samo like he's all like in a suit with the fucking little glasses and stuff like <laughs> being a salesman. And so I don't know, I enjoy it, but I don't know that anybody else would, uh, really need to watch this movie. I, I also want to say that this movie is pretty obscure. Uh, the only copy that i could find was a vcd uh copy and uh (laughs) like every fucking obscure movie it seems like literally every obscure movie that has a shitty uh quality print always has a bunch of fucking night scenes and specifically like with a, a movie like uh from hong kong it has like a bunch of night fights and this movie has a bunch so there's there's some of the fight stuff where I say it's not memorable, but some of it is pretty hard to see. Um, so maybe it would be more memorable if I could see it better. I don't know. Anyway, that's that movie. <laughs> I'm just kind of rattling through these movies. Um, I don't know if I, f- if I sound off, but I definitely feel like... I can't get into it. And and before I even started, I was just like, ah, I don't want to fucking do this. <laughs> All right. So next movie I watched is a Japanese movie called Female Prisoner Scorpion Beast Stable. Beast Stable, another hard movie to say, is a 1973 movie directed by Shunya Ito. And this is the third movie in the Female Prisoner Scorpion series. There is one more um, after this, but it is not directed by Shunya Ito. 
Uh, and then, and then a few years after the last one, then they made another series. I think, and I don't think Mekukaji is in in those, but um, those are called like New Female Prisoner Scorpion. But as of now, I don't have those, so I'm just gonna end it when I get to the fourth one. But that doesn't matter. All right, so this movie, Beast Stable. This movie fucking starts with a bang. <laughs> so, Meiko Kaji, the female prisoner known as Scorpion, um, is on the run from the cops, and she is getting... She's, like, running from them on the subway. And she... I think she's... Was she getting off or getting on this? She must have been getting off. Yeah, she, she was definitely getting off. Okay, so she she was getting off the subway, and um, this cop reaches through the door, like not through the door, but the door is closing, and he puts his hand through. The door closes on his arm, and Meiko Kaji doesn't <laughs> like she she wants to get away, but she can't because. Um, he fucking like handcuffed one of her arms to his arm like right before and so he she jumped off and anyway <laughs> i'm getting confused cuz i just watched a, a an episode of the louis ck tv show and they were on the subway and his daughter was standing next to him and then as the doors were closing like she jumped off and then, uh, like, he started freaking out. So I'm seeing that while I'm seeing this other thing. So I'm trying to just keep it straight. But anyway, so Meiko Kaji and the cop were handcuffed together. Uh, she jumps out. He reaches his hand out as the door is closing. The door closes on his arm. And she wants to get away. How is she going to get away? She apparently... <laughs> has uh, a big giant knife and she just fucking hacks off the cop's arm like just straight up hacks it off and then uh, runs through the city with this fucking arm handcuffed to her arm and then uh, <laughs> later as the as the the movie the story progresses um, this movie is is kind of built around prostitutes and uh, Meiko Kaji's character, Scorpion, uh, kind of seeks refuge with a specific prostitute. And <laughs> how she finds Scorpion is that, like, she hears this, uh, like, this weird scraping noise outside the door. And she looks and <laughs> she sees Scorpion fucking uh, trying to break the chain from the handcuff on like this headstone and she just sees and it looks the way that she's holding it to scrape it it looks like she's uh scorpion is eating the fucking arm <laughs> uh it's it's nuts it's fucking cool i like it <laughs> jesus christ it's cool i like it <laughs> I should just make a fucking sound bite of that. It's cool. I like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, so this movie is not as good as the second one, but it is better, in my opinion, than the first one. There's, I would say, the first movie has a lot of these very theatrical elements that are still presented theatrically. Um, like you see the stages and there's the revolving stage and all this stuff. Like it, there's a lot of theatricality to it. The second movie uses that theatricality and then um, pushes it forward into a cinematic technique, really fusing the two um, to their best uh, strengths. Um, the third movie reels back some of that theatricality and the surrealism, and it's almost like more of a normal movie. Um, and so it's less, it's less good. <laughs> the, I really like that second movie. And so this one is, it's definitely good and very enjoyable, but, um, just not as, as, uh, just not as strong. Um, <laughs> but there is one, there's one scene where, where they go into this bar and, the establishing shot of the bar is of all this neon that's around the, the not just the bar, but like on the windows and the sign and like the signs of all the stores and shops and stuff next to them, like all the way down the road is just fucking neon everywhere. And they're like flashing and kind of buzzing and shit. And then when they go inside the bar, like there's all these jump cuts and it reminded me a lot of just the neon and just that fucking like oh it's it's nightlife <laughs> you know i don't know not not necessarily not like um any kind of way that conveys a substance it's just a stylistic thing um but i liked it quite a bit uh, but you know i don't know that it added anything to the movie like thematically or anything like that like ideally some kind of you know cool element like that would would add something um but this is just adding cool <laughs> so you know oh fuck all right just drop my phone i fucking dropped this phone so much it's like all slippery <laughs> and I even have, I have like a case, but it's just a little clear case. And the case is kind of slippery too. But man, it's not nearly as slippery as without the case. Anyway, who gives a shit? <laughs> Ask me if I give a shit. <laughs> I can't do a Jackie Chan voice. <laughs> Ask me if I give a shit. <laughs> All right. So where was, was I with this? Um, Like the earlier movies in the series um there's a rape or two in this one seems to be a hallmark of the of the female prisoner scorpion films and um this one also has a very forcible like hardcore fucking uh forced abortion 
and it it's gnarly. I mean, it's not graphic, but man, <laughs> it's fucking intense. And so it made me think like like people who are against abortions um are really hardcore like they're against fucking abortions and so when i was watching this really like fucking like nuts abortion where they're just literally like holding this fucking woman down and like fucking against her will like aborting this fucking child the fetus um <laughs> i imagine that like Everybody who's against abortions, like, probably imagines that every one of them is, like, the one in this movie. Just all fucking horrific and shit. But, uh, I would imagine that they're not. Anyway, I don't have anything (laughs) fucking grand to say. Just, uh, it made me think of that. And, uh, also, like, the aftermath of the abortion is almost just as fucking harrowing, because... They just dump her like uh scorpion is in this like a cell and they dump the girl that they uh did the abortion on like next to the cell or, or some something like that and there's this overhead shot of both of them and you just see the girl is like wrapped in this fucking sheet and she's just like just profusely bleeding all like her whole fucking both legs are just completely red and the sheet is just fucking soaked and it's so gnarly like ugh. it's it's a really it's a perfect image to sell that situation without like graphically showing things and i'm really glad that they didn't graphically show things um because this movie has like all the the movies in this series it has a fair amount of gore like when they hack that guy's arm off like they show it being hacked off and <laughs> she's carrying around the fucking arm for a while and then later in the movie this fucking dog picks up the arm and is just walking around the city with it <laughs> um so that's that i would say that it's uh definitely uh one to watch if you're into japanese film um or genre film in general um it's uh it's it's an enjoyable film <laughs> right after the the forced abortion talk you know hey it's a it's a fun movie <laughs> jesus all right next movie that i watched is a movie called knife for the ladies <laughs> and this movie is a uh, another weird one it is a proto slasher i don't know when the slasher movie is like thought to have started but i imagine it would be um like halloween and then whatever kept coming after halloween like black christmas and is black christmas after halloween though i think i want to say that it's not no, yeah, Black Christmas is 74. Yeah, and so then, so Psycho, Black Christmas, Halloween. Yeah, that's right, because cause John Carpenter really liked Black Christmas, and he said, oh, I want to do a fucking Halloween one. 
<laughs> so I'll do Halloween. Um, and then just everything that came after Halloween. And so anyway, Knife for the Ladies is also 1974, like Black Christmas. And it's kind of a proto-slasher. Um, it's not great. And so that's why <laughs> it's kind of sunk into obscurity. Um, but but it's interesting for people who like slashers because it is a Western also. So it's set in the Old West, and there's a mysterious killer going around and knifing ladies. And it starts off uh, really great. It's very suspenseful and uh very interesting and engaging. And then it totally gets boring and it becomes kind of like a, a mystery, like a, almost like a fucking, like it feels kind of like a TV movie. Um, and the mystery that they're investigating kind of feels like a fucking, <laughs> like a murder she wrote or some shit. <laughs> Columbo. Um, but it's also like, it's not much of a mystery because, uh, it's just the characters in the movie. (laughs) Like we're not involved because we already know what the characters are trying to discover. So, and I fucking hate when movies do that. I mean, there's probably a good example of a movie that does it. And it does it well because there's there's definitely something to be said for knowing what the characters don't know in certain situations, and then that builds, you know, attention or suspense or whatever. Um, but in this case, it's one of those things where it just totally diffuses whatever engagement you might have in um, the mystery because it's no fucking mystery. So you're just kind of waiting for them to catch up. And so that's most of the movie. It's, it's fucking slow. It's boring. And then just like the beginning of the movie, the end of the movie is like super fun and very enjoyable because it kind of brings back, uh, the slasher elements and the more horror influenced elements. And so I would definitely say (laughs) it's a, not a movie that needs to be sought out uh, at all. Um, but if, for nothing else, it is a Western sort of slasher. So it's uh, kind of unique and interesting uh, interesting um, on its own just for that. And, and that, my friends, is uh, what I watched this week. And I don't have any feedback. So that's going to be the show. What's coming up next week on the site? Next week, I'm not uh, going to have any reviews because I fucked up. And so those reviews will come out next week. And if I am able, I'm going to try to get up a post um, about the Silver Emulsion anniversary uh, which just happened. Uh, today is the 15th, Saturday, and uh, Wednesday the 12th was the 7th anniversary of Silver Emulsion. So uh, pat yourselves on the back, 
Silver Emulsion fans and uh, Silver Emulsion friends and family. (laughs) Um, We did it. Seven years. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I usually do a little post where I uh, kind of uh, make predictions about where I might be on my series and sort of uh, not anything that really matters to people, but uh, it's interesting to me to sort of uh, like a time capsule sort of thing, write something and then don't look at it for a year and then come back to it and be like, oh, shit, I did that or I didn't do that or whatever. Anyway, so maybe I'll get one of those up uh, this week. (laughs) I don't know. One year I fucking didn't get it up until like July, so (laughs) don't hold your breath. Anyway, that's going to be the show, Uh, so I hope uh, you guys are all doing well out there in uh, radio land. (laughs) And so until next time, adios. I like it.